I really believe that every single person that's listening or watching this, they are capable of more than they ever dreamed or imagined. And the reason that they are not reaching that potential is just fear. They're just afraid of confronting something, whether it's voices in their head that say they can't or people around them that say they can't, or it's a fear that they're not willing to confront. I just, I do this every single day because there's nothing that gives me more pleasure than convincing somebody they can do something that they thought they couldn't do. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I am here today with me. I'm here today with myself. Wait, what in the world is going on here? What we're doing today with this interview is I'm going to be speaking with somebody that you may or may not know, Debbie Germino, who has been a member of the Optimizer team and community now for several years. Debbie is my uh, coaching partner in crime in the Optimizer Coaching and Mentorship Program. She's also the podcast producer behind the scenes. If you've been wondering for the last several months or the last couple of years, man, Zach's getting some really good guests. How does he do it? Well, that's who we're with today. So Debbie, you are actually here today interviewing me. So what are we talking about? And welcome, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this is quite a role reversal switch <laughs> for both of us, I think. So this will be an interesting day. Um, and essentially, we're here to talk about the fact that you have recorded 200 episodes of the Optimize Yourself podcast which that alone is quite an accomplishment. Um, so we're just here to hear about that, hear about maybe some lessons you've learned, hear about some of the different guests that have impacted you, what else has impacted you from doing a podcast for this long, and to hear your thoughts on the future and where, where you want to take it. I love all of that. So without further ado, I'm now officially proverbially handing over the digital microphone 
to you. The baton has been handed off. I'm just here as a guest. So uh, where do you want to start? All right. Well, many of our regular listeners know how the show started, but for anyone coming in for the first time, listening for the first time, um, it might be just a good idea to let them know how the podcast started, how it's evolved over the years. And I, I don't even think I know the exact year that it started, um, like way back if we talk about fitness and post, and you can maybe describe, explain what that is, um, and then what year it transitioned to optimize yourself. So so maybe that's just a good place to start. Sure. Um, it's funny because I was just about to uh, to correct you when you said you've now recorded 200 episodes. I'm like, well, technically with Optimize Yourself, I've done 200. But for those that don't know, before Optimize Yourself, there was what was called the Fitness in Post podcast, of which I did over 100 interviews. So really, I've talked to well over 300 world-class athletes, authors, performers, uh, and just everyday people that have done extraordinary things, have overcome obstacles that are inspiring people. Um, so I've had lots and lots and lots of conversations with some pretty awesome human beings. And it all started back in 2014. So technically, the debut of Fitness and Post was May 29th of 2014, a date that I will never forget, uh, where I went onto the stage of an organization called Lassie Pug, which stands for the Los Angeles Creative Pro User Group. And I was debuting this podcast and website called Fitness in Post, which was teaching editors how to be healthier at their desks. And my fear was that I was going to be booed off stage and they were going to throw tomatoes at me. Why editors would bring tomatoes to a meetup group, I don't know, but that was my fear is who does this guy think he is telling us that we need to be healthier? And what I found to the contrary was how many people were struggling with work-life balance and burnout and being stuck at their computer for days, weeks, months, or even years on end. And I realized that there was a, there was a niche that needed to be served. So I was an editor at the time, and I, I don't even really consider myself an editor anymore. I have done editing recently, but I've, I've really seen myself and have told people publicly, I'm now a retired Hollywood film and TV editor that is now transitioned to being a coach, a podcaster, an author, and a mentor. But back then, I was a full-time Hollywood film and TV editor, and I really saw that there was a need for people doing the job that I was doing that just needed to figure out, how do I do this job without it literally killing me? So that's where it all started is it was uh, even before a podcast on a website, it was just a hiking group. Uh, a few of my colleagues at a TV show at the time called Black Box, which nobody has ever heard of because it was a one and done uh, medical drama that was created by the, uh, the woman, Amy Holden Jones, who actually created The Resident, which is a hugely successful show on Fox now. Uh, but this was kind of her preamble medical show that led to her making The Resident. The point being at Black Box, I basically recruited, whether they liked it or not, all of the members of the team saying, hey, we should go out hiking on Sundays and get some sun and wear Fitbits and see who can get the most steps. And then they asked a couple of friends and they asked a couple of friends. And all of a sudden I had this group of 12 of us that we called Fitness and Post that were taking a hike every Sunday. And we were working to, to build healthier habits. And then from there, I started thinking, well, what if we talked about this journey? Sure. Well, let's just release a podcast. So I had a friend of mine at the time who had what was the most popular and most listened to podcast in post-production. It was called That Post Show. His name was Kanan Flowers. And he had the whole infrastructure to help me produce a podcast because even to this day, 
really don't know how the hell to actually publish a podcast and put it online. I just know how to hit record and talk into a microphone. Uh, so he helped build the infrastructure and was actually one of the, the inspirations for starting Fitness and Posts. So it was just, if you go into the very first episodes of which I don't even think are available anymore, but if you were to listen to the first few episodes of Fitness and Post, it was just us talking about our hiking groups and the challenges that we had being editors in post-production. And with zero advertising, zero marketing, zero idea of this even being a thing, it just started to grow like wildfire. Like if we were the, he was sending me the numbers every week in the analytics. And he's like, this is unheard of to be able to grow an audience this quickly. Now, granted, I'm not Tim Ferriss and I don't have millions of downloads, but in this niche, I was very quickly becoming one of the go-to podcasts and nobody had ever even heard of me because the need was so great for some level of work-life balance and more fitness in the world of doing sedentary knowledge work. So from there, it just kind of took over my entire life and the hobby became an obsession. As somebody who knows me well, you've heard me say more than once that I don't really have hobbies. I have obsessions. And Fitness and Post went from being a hiking group to being an absolute obsession where I was working every waking hour to learn even some sleeping hours, um, learning how do I build a WordPress site and how do I write a blog post and uh, is there a way that I can like make find some way to, to monetize it so that like if people in my group buy Shakeology, like I can basically my entire business model at one point, and I remember doing the math with uh, whiteboard markers on my mirrored closet, doing the math. What would it take for me? How many packets of Shakeology do I have to sell to break even so I can pay my website hosting fees? That was my business model. If I can sell whatever number of units and I can generate $500 a month, and it covers all of my website hosting and plugins and everything else, I've got it made. That was the business plan, generate $500 a month in income. Uh, and from there, it just kind of became a thing. And I started to do some other podcasts as a guest talking about it, and it really grew. And all of a sudden I found myself with over a hundred episodes and it had been two or three years. And I had started learning, how do I actually turn this into a business? Because I realized that I was onto something. And simultaneously, while I was, while I was starting to learn how to turn it into a business, uh, I was working on the TV show Empire, which was by far the biggest show I'd ever worked on, was the number one show on TV, breaking decades worth of ratings records. And I was editing the season one finale. And I know you've heard the story before, but for those that haven't, um, it's still to this day, very, very hard to tell the story, but uh, was sitting on the, the couch, putting my kids to bed via FaceTime for the millionth and a half time uh, for that year. And my son, who was five or six at the time, he thought that they'd hung up the phone. And he said to my wife, why doesn't daddy want to put us to bed at night? Why doesn't he love us? And that hit me really, really hard. And I realized I had spent my entire career working up to this moment. And I just didn't want to be there anymore. So really ignited the fire under me to realize and figure out how do I turn fitness and post into an actual viable business model? Because the only thing I had ever been paid money for my entire life was either working on the farm and mowing hay, which really wasn't a sustainable business model, or it was editing. And I thought I've now hit a glass ceiling where the only way for me to become more successful and either support my family being an editor or grow is by sacrificing my family in the process. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? So I really started to put the energy into how do I turn fitness and post into a viable business model, which brings us to, well, why is this still not called fitness and post? I realized that I was very much hitting a wall and I had the, this problem with everybody. I had one of two conversations. 
One of the conversations was, oh my God, I'm you know obsessed with the stuff with post-production and I'm an editor and standing desks, et cetera, et cetera. You're the standing desk guy, but I don't really like the word fitness. Fitness kind of scares me. So my target audience was scared away by the name fitness in post. Then on the flip side, I was talking to a lot of experts in the fitness space, like Tony Horton and Ben Greenfield and Sean Stevenson and all these big names in health. So I had people coming to the show because of the fitness conversations saying, but what's post? Is it like, you're talking like, like after your workout routine, like fitness in post, like your post. And I'm just like, ah, crap. My branding was awful. (laughs) The name made no sense to either of my target audiences. And I also realized that having the word fitness in the title was severely limiting the conversations that I could have. So I had had some conversations about career development and people were like, dude, this is a podcast about fitness. And I realized I needed to make a change. So I remember having multiple conversations with my assistant editor at the time, who was also kind of de facto helping me build the website, helping me with show notes. And she was doing uh, the, the Q&A podcasts. And she was kind of uh, serving in an unofficial podcast producer role the way that you are now. Uh, her name is Natalie Beauchamp. And we started talking about words that editors and people in tech use all the time. And the biggest one was optimize. I want to optimize my hard drive speeds or I want to optimize my workflow. And it was always about the tech. And it it just, you know, me and my soapboxes, I get very animated and very emotional about things very, very quickly. I'm like, oh, why do all these people, it's always about optimizing the the technology. Why can't we just optimize ourselves? Boom. It's like, that's it. What if we call it optimize yourself? And then I had planned out this whole thing. Like, how do we break it down into areas? And like some of our conversations could be move yourself and then there could be advance yourself, but then there's focus yourself and balance yourself. Things we still talk about to this day were born out of a conversation that I had with my assistant in 2016, really breaking down what does this look like? And here I am six, seven years later, still trying to figure it out and build it. But the structure was there. So at that point, I decided that I was going to make the transition and I was going to rebrand. So in early 2017, in January of 2017, I did my first branded thing under Optimize Yourself. While it was still fitness and post, there was so much brand confusion where they're like, well, wait, I don't understand. Is Optimize Yourself a part of fitness and post? Is it different? I'm like, I don't know. I'm figuring that out. So it's a big, giant branding mess. The point being that I ran this five-day challenge that was called 5X, your creativity, your productivity, and your energy. It's called the 5X Challenge. Similar to the hiking groups that I had done before that had 10, 12, 14, 16 people. This group had 1,100 people that signed up on six continents. Scared the living shit out of me because I had no idea how to manage 1,100 people. Now, mind you, this is all free. It was a free five-day challenge being used to get people excited about my first online course, which was called Move Yourself. How do I build healthier habits around my workstation? How do I set up a standing workstation? How do I ignite my creativity by being more active throughout my workday? It was all, all about these different strategies. And essentially what happened in the Facebook group with those 1,100 people is at one point, I don't even remember most of the conversation, but I'll never forget this sentence. Zach, can't thank you enough for everything that you've shared. You are a true thought leader. Whoa, oh, no, 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 no. Do not be calling me a thought leader. No. My life is a mess. I'm trying to figure all this stuff out. Don't call me an expert. Don't call me your guru. Do not call me a thought leader. And that ignited the worst imposter syndrome I've ever had in my entire life. So for Mm -hmm. those that always wonder, nobody really asks this anymore, but in 2017, between January and September, there was nothing. There was no fitness in post. There was no optimize yourself. 
And I told people I was rebranding, which I was. The rebranding took about a month. The other seven months was me trying to figure out who the hell am I to think that I can tell people how to build a healthier lifestyle and a more fulfilling life? Like, who am I to think that I can be the person that does that? To this day, I still struggle with that. Obviously, not so much so that it's debilitating, but that was a big turning point for me. And when I finally released and rebranded Optimize Yourself, it was essentially like starting over with a brand new podcast, a new audience, and still to this day, five years later, trying to build that audience and clarify who are we and what do we do and who do we serve. Um, but that was kind of the genesis of where all of this came from. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. I didn't realize that that whole, um, it was just one one message of thought leader that sort of sent you down that imposter syndrome spiral. Two words. When so I well. say two words brought me down, I literally mean they brought me down because I have a very distinct memory right before doing the The idea is, and anybody that's an entrepreneur in the online space, they can relate to this. Anybody that is that does creative work maybe can't. But what you usually do if you're going to launch a new program is you want to have some form of a, a webinar where you can explain to them, I want to teach you a few things about how to be more active at your desk, totally free, If you want to join the fully paid program, come join the program. So I did one of those 90-minute webinars, kind of summarizing the 5X challenge and breaking it down. Here are some takeaways to be more active at your desk. I was so nervous. And that thought leader comment had just come up either that day or the day before that while I was giving the workshop, I was, was right here in this exact same space, same spot. I got so lightheaded from nerves, I almost passed out during the webinar. So what I did was, and I'm going to recreate this now, I had the webinar right in front of me and I was standing and I had to stop and I was on my knees and I did this. And I did half of the webinar from here. Now my my video wasn't on, so all they saw was the slideshow. But I sat here to make sure I didn't pass out and I gave the rest of my webinar from here because I couldn't stand up because of the fear of who the hell do I think I am to actually do this. So I did half my webinar (laughs) from the ground on my knees. So I literally wouldn't pass out. That's how bad the imposter syndrome was. And as soon as the launch was over, Glenn will tell you, Glenn was around me back in those days. Glenn is the, uh, the first, the very first member of my team that's responsible for there actually being an infrastructure to this entire community. Um, And he'll tell you that both of us completely burned out for months. We did nothing. We just disappeared off the face of the map. So I barely made it through that webinar, barely made it to the Friday launch closing. And then that was it. I stepped away for like eight or nine months because I just could not take the pressure and the responsibility. That's that's incredible. So I I think that really I, I wanted to go back to something you said way early on, which I think is somewhat related, but also somewhat contradictory to this huge imposter syndrome that you felt, because you said that Fitness Impost essentially started as a hiking group and you wanted to have some conversations. And so, you know, when you said that, I'm picturing like, you know, you're hanging out in the edit bays and just like talking about your hiking, where are we going to go hiking? And how, you know, like, like just a conversation between colleagues. And when you said, so why not make it a podcast? Like that is not a train of thought that would go through my mind. (laughs) And so I'm just curious of where, especially thinking about that imposter syndrome that came to you to me that it like it doesn't track like if someone's thinking like oh we should turn this into a podcast it seems like you're already thinking of yourself like yeah this is 
this is something that I want to put out there. So walk me through sort of your thought process and going from, oh, we're just having conversations to, I want to turn this into a podcast and actually have other people listen. And were they like, were those first interviews, actual interviews, were they multiple people on there? Was it just a conversation or was it more what we hear now on the Optimize Yourself podcast? Mm, That's a really good question that a good podcast host might ask. Um, very good insights. Um, I would say that the place that it started was actually even before I decided that I wanted to have a podcast. There were two kind of inciting incidents. The first of which that uh, around the same time or maybe a year or two before is when I became a, for anybody listening, I'm doing the big giant air quotes, quote unquote overnight success because I had gotten the job editing burn notice and I was a nobody. Nobody had any idea where I came from. And all of a sudden I'm editing what at the time was the number one cable show on TV with zero TV experience, hadn't been an assistant. So I was being asked to be on other people's podcasts, talking about my career journey and how I became an overnight success. That was how I met Kanan and got on that post show. And as people would start to reach out and say, we'd like to have you on the podcast, what do you want to talk about? I say, oh my God, I'm just, I'm really obsessed now with figuring out my standing desk and I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of exercises, learning about the brain and creativity. And they're like, we just wanted to talk about Avid and Burn Notice. And if you have any like special keyboard commands or effects that you like, I'm like, Ugh, right. So I, I had this need to talk about something that nobody was willing to talk about. And the only way to, to get it off my chest was to start my own podcast. It was never, I want to be a thought leader. I want to become a guru. I want to be the expert. It was literally this desire. It was just, and I think anybody that does creative work or considers themselves a creative, they can relate to this. I just need to get it out of my system. If you're an artist and you need to draw, if you're a painter and you need to paint, if you're a musician and you just need to play music, you get ideas in your head and it's almost like you're bottling them up and you feel this anxiety and this pressure until you get them out of your system. That's how I felt. I just needed to get it out of my system. So the joke was always, I just need to have a few episodes, get this out of my system. And here I am 300 plus episodes later and I've barely gotten started, right? (laughs) Uh, But it just started as nobody wants to talk about this and I want to talk about it. And one of the other uh, things that really kind of threw gasoline on the fire was I wrote a blog article that nowadays I look back on and I cringe because it's one of those, you look back at your early work and you're like, oh my God, this is awful. But I wrote a piece that was called a classic case of post-production burnout. And the rea- it went quote unquote viral in the world of editors and people that work in Hollywood because nobody, nobody would talk about this stuff. Nobody would admit it. And it was like, oh my God, I can't, you're talking about burnout. You can't talk about burnout. Like, you can't do that. Like, don't let it. And then all of a sudden people started coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh my God, this is exactly how I feel. I'm dealing with all the same things, but I don't feel like I can talk about it. So all of a sudden I was the guy that was talking about all the other things that nobody was willing to talk about. Burnout and depression, mental health issues, ADHD, all of which I've got like the perfect cocktail of all of the above. Nobody was talking about it. So again, it wasn't a matter of, I distinctly see a business opportunity and I know how to monetize it. It was now I'm getting things off my chest that are almost a form of therapy, but other people are coming along the journey with me. But I never once said to myself, where is the monetization opportunity here? But one of the the areas where it actually flipped is I had two conversations within probably, I don't remember exactly because it's been so long, but give or take same time period. Let's say I had the same conversation in the same month with two different people that didn't know each other. And they both said the same thing. They said, what you're doing is great right now, 
But if you don't learn how to monetize this and turn it into a business, it's going to burn you out and you're not going to want to do it anymore. You're loving it now and you're all obsessed. But if you keep trying to do it for free as a charity, it will burn you out and you're going to quit. And that hit me really hard because it came from two people that I really admire. And they both said the same thing, not realizing they were both telling me the same thing. So that's when the seed was planted. Is this a thing? I don't know if it's a thing. And I've spent the last seven years still to this day trying to answer that question. How does it become a thing? How do I turn it into a viable business? How do I make a living doing it? How do I reach more people? Um, but it really just kind of all started back from, I got to I gotta get some stuff off my chest. And apparently I have a lot that I feel the need to get out of my system because here we are eight years later and I just won't shut up. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting to hear maybe how how challenging it can be to put a podcast together. And I think a lot of people, I mean, there's so many podcasts these days and so many people starting podcasts, yet you don't see a lot that are doing it for this many episodes. So do you want to talk about maybe some of the challenges that you faced, maybe any times that you thought maybe you were going to quit and like forget it all and give up on it? Um, anything, anything in that vein about how, how difficult it's been to, to put it together every, almost every week for the, this long. Well, it, it can't be that hard. I mean, you just hit the record button and then you talk for a while and then you hit the stop button and then you upload an MP3 file and you've got a podcast. Like that's it, right? It's, it's that simple. simple. That's what, that's what everybody thinks. Um, and yes, eight years ago, podcasting was a lot more complicated. There were zero online courses about how to start a podcast, what equipment that you needed, how do I monetize it? Podcasting has become a gigantic multi-billion dollar industry. But just like anything else where you have the democratization or the equalization of access to technology, it doesn't change the people that really decide to dedicate themselves and become great at it. Right. Everybody 10, 15 years ago, all of a sudden had access to cameras. They had access to editing equipment, whereas 20, 30 years ago, those that had access to the equipment were the ones that were able to, to rise up faster. But it's not like all of a sudden, because everybody has access to Adobe Premiere Pro and Final Cut, we magically have millions of genius editors. We have millions of people that have access to the technology that are kind of sort of okay, but you still have the same number of people that really rise to the top and become professionals or become consistently good at what they do. Same thing with podcasting. Eight, nine years ago, it was like a 12-step process just to get yourself hosted somewhere, get it on iTunes, get it on... And there's so many platforms now, but back then there were only three, four, five places you could really consume a podcast where the masses would know about it. Nowadays, anybody can do it. You join a program, you click a button, it goes to all the different podcast platform hosts, which is why I always say nowadays, everybody has a podcast. It goes about five episodes. Very few have a podcast that goes 50, 100, 200 plus, because once you get over the hump of, well, what microphone sounds the best and should I be using Libsyn or should I be using Red Circle or should I be using Blueberry or whatever the podcast hosts are, once you kind of have the infrastructure down on a workflow, then you realize the hardest part about podcasting is having a story to tell and consistently telling a good story that engages people and most importantly, helps them and or entertains them. My hope is that I do both. Some podcasts, uh, and there's a lot of them nowadays that are very much fictionalized storytelling that are just 
an audio form of entertainment, no different than radio shows before TV. We've really kind of gone back to that era of you sitting huddling around the radio to hear a radio show. That's what a lot of podcasts have become. Um, I see myself as an educator, motivator, and inspirer. And if I educate people at the same, or if I entertain people at the same time, that's great. But in order to consistently do this, you have to actually know what story you want to tell and what is your identity. That makes it a lot easier for me to decide who are the people that I actually want to talk to. So yes, it is, it's difficult every single week to logistically get somebody to record, make sure you can fit them on your calendar. It fits on your calendar, record it, make sure you didn't forget to hit some stupid checkbox where only their video records and yours didn't, which (laughs) by the way, spoiler alert, been doing this for eight years. I made that mistake last week. It never ends. The point being, there's a lot of logistical reasons that make it difficult but ultimately, it's just the grind of I have to find more people to talk to. I have to find more books to read or I have to find more movies and TV to watch or whatever the, the world of podcasts are that you inhabit. And to come way back to your question of were there times that I wanted to quit and what kept me going? There are at least five times that I threw my hands up and I said, oh, I'm done. I am so done with this. This is too much work. Why did I even start this in the first place? And not just eight years ago, I've had that moment several times, even until fairly recently, where it's like, I just, I'm done. I can't do this. It's just way too much. And whether it's podcasting or anything else, if you know what your deeper why is, the how and the what become immaterial. What happened every single time that I said to myself, I'm done and I quit, within 24 hours, every single time, I either got an email message or I got a Slack message. Where somebody said, I listened to the following, insert name of guest here, talking about the following topic. You just changed my life. Damn it. I can't quit. Right? Like, I just, I so want to be done with this. I just want life to be easy. But then I realized that I put myself in a position, whether I like it or not, where I think I'm providing a, a fairly unique service that's not available to many of the people that are in our industry or frankly, other creative industries and have had the realization multiple times that if I, let's just use Cobra Kai, for example, for those that uh, might be listening that are brand new, um, the most recent show that I've worked on as a Hollywood film and television editor has been the last four seasons of Cobra Kai in which I'm now lead editor and associate producer. And I think to myself, and I even told the showrunners of this um, when I was re-upping for the most recent season, I said that I know that if you replace me, the show is still going to be edited. It's still going to be edited very well, and it's still going to be successful. I feel that I play a very, very small part in the tone of it and a choice of music for a montage that people really love. So I'm, I'm having a small creative impact. But if I remove myself from the equation, somebody else sits on my chair tomorrow and Cobra Kai still gets made, and it gets made at a very high level, and Cobra Kai has a huge impact, positive impact, on the people that watch it all over the world. If I decide to quit this, it no longer exists. It's gone, because the entire foundation of the coaching program, the podcast, everything else is built upon me. When I started Fitness and Post, my goal was to make it this ubiquitous program that had no face because I'm an introvert and I didn't want to be the face of anything and I didn't want to deal with the imposter syndrome and the responsibility. So I literally built the Fitness and Post website without my face on it, without my name. You couldn't even figure out who created it. It was just a resource. So putting my name and my face on Optimize Yourself to this day is still a challenge for me. 
But I realized that if I remove myself from this equation, this resource that has a positive impact on others disappears. So every time I want to quit, it's a matter of, well, I can, but it's going to have, it's going to have an impact on others. Whereas me quitting editing, it's, it's a nuisance for 24 hours until they replace me. So it's, it's those messages that I keep getting from people that have stopped me from just outright saying I'm done. Because when I was branding from fitness and posts to optimize yourself, every day it was, why am I still doing this? This is so stupid. I finally hit the point in my career that I've worked so hard to be. I'm commanding a good weekly rate and working on top level shows. Why am I putting myself through this? It's because I was playing a game of chess instead of a game of checkers. And I said, but this isn't where I want to be in 30 years. Hmm. So that's a big shift, what you just said about going from not wanting your face on anything on fitness and post, kind of being anonymous, being only a resource, and then go shifting to optimize yourself where you are sort of taking that role, that initiative of like, I'm the one talking about these things and helping people. So I'm curious because you talked about, you mentioned something at the beginning of all of that, which I think is helpful to maybe define a little bit more for listeners who may not be familiar. You said you knew your deeper why. So that's something that we talk a lot about in our pro in focus yourself and optimize yourself. So can you explain what the deeper why is and maybe what yours is and and how that helped you sort of make that transformation. Yeah, that's uh, this in and of itself could probably be a three part podcast because this is an area that I feel is so important to my journey. And as you know, because you coach it, this is one of the very first things that we talk about with our students when they come into the program um, is that uh, without going too far off on a tangent, uh, but where I really want to start is a conversation that uh, I had recently on an episode that has not been released yet. For those of you that are uh, you know already fans, just wait until my episode releases with Joey Cafone. Because Joey Cafone and I had a pretty in-depth existential conversation about creativity, who we are, why we do what we do, and also how the modern educational system essentially is designed to beat the creativity out of us. So the way that we are educated, born and raised is essentially to become a part of a machine, either to literally become part of an assembly line or proverbially become part of an assembly line. So we are taught in school, you need to retain this information and be able to regurgitate it. Your grades and your performance are based on your ability to adhere to authority. So if you're somebody that asks questions or sees a different point of view versus just saying this is the right answer, that's seen to the detriment of your education. What we are never taught is why we do what we do. It's here's how to do this job. Here's what you're supposed to do, but we're never actually taught. Here's why you do what you do. And I was just like anybody else. I spent my entire life learning about the craft of film editing. What are the buttons that I press? I want to read about books to understand why they made these choices. What's the creative side of things? What's the theory side of things? What's the technical side of things? So it was all about what I want to do and how I do it. Until I realized at that moment, putting my son to bed, everything I was sacrificing, I couldn't answer the question, yeah, but why am I doing this? The question was, why is this worth it? And I didn't have an answer. Because for if I were in a similar position right now and I were doing the work that I'm doing and I had the same FaceTime conversation, it would have been just as difficult 
but I wouldn't have felt the guilt because what I'm doing in my mind has a lot of deeper meaning. Being a cog in a machine on a giant TV show for a, a giant worldwide global corporation, so what? Anybody else could have done that job. It would have been a little bit different, and I think that I did it well. But ultimately, I didn't know why I was putting myself through that. There's no deeper reason for it. So this led me on a, I mean, just you, you want to talk about the, the hero's journey. I was at the beginning of this, this hero's journey coming out of the ordinary world, which is I'm a film and TV editor, and this is what I do for a living, and this is my identity, this call to adventure, which is why am I actually doing this? What's the reason behind my work? And I spent years, I'm still to this day doing it, but really diving in as a student of personal and professional development. And the thing that I kept hitting up against was why do you do what you do? So I found what to me is, if not the most seminal book, one of the most seminal books that I think anybody should read if they want to better understand why they do what they do, which is aptly called Start With Why, written by Simon Sinek. P.S. Side note, anybody out here knows Simon Sinek? I want him on the podcast. Okay, so now I put that out in the universe. It will happen because Debbie knows me. She knows when I decide I'm going to get somebody on the show, I find a way to do it. Uh, so Simon at some point will be on the show. But the point is, I read that book to really understand how much why factors into the work that we do. And there is a follow-up book that he co-wrote with a co-writer named David Mead that was called Find Your Why, which you're very familiar with because this is something that we teach in our program. And the episode that we have in our podcast archives, and Debbie can put it all in the show notes so you guys can click on it and find it, um, but it's about finding your why. And essentially, I went through the process with David on the call of really boiling down why I do what I do. And it's not, well, I'm a, a TV and film editor because I want to make money. Okay, well, why is that important? Well, I'm a TV and film editor because I want to make money and I can support my family. Okay, well, that's a little bit better, right? But there's so many layers to it that it kind of becomes like peeling an onion. But at the end of the day, it's not a matter of my why for editing is different than my why for teaching is different than my why for coaching is different than my why for being a parent. You get to the point where you go so deep that the answer why in every different circumstance or every identity that you have as a human is the exact same answer. So once I peeled deeper and deeper and deeper, what I found is that my deeper why is to put myself in a position of discomfort. So I push myself outside my comfort zone so that I can inspire others to push themselves outside of their comfort zone because that is where their true potential lies. So what I love doing is inspiring people to believe that they are capable of more. And you've seen this happen literally on the spot. You've seen this happen with me. This is why I love doing Tough Mudders and Spartan races because there's no quicker, faster way to get somebody outside their comfort zone where they're terrified. And in a single moment, you see the switch flip on where they realize, oh my God, I've been telling myself my whole life that I can't and I am completely and totally full of shit because I am capable of more than I know and I see it happen over and over and over. Just when we ran our most recent Tough Mudder and Spartan races, almost every single person had that moment. And luckily, I've got a lot of them on camera because I filmed a lot of them. But there's nothing that I enjoy more than that aha moment where you see something change in somebody. I've even done it with my guests. You remember the episode that I did with Sandy Zimmerman? Mm -hmm. So Sandy Zimmerman, she is literally on the poster for American Ninja Warrior. You go to American Ninja Warrior season 15 for 2023. She is the poster. And I did a podcast with her. And again, you can put which episode it is in the show notes. But she was debating, well, what do I really want to do with my life? I've been a teacher for so long. 
but I don't really know why I do it anymore. And I don't really know what I want to do next. And through a series of questions in no more than 15 minutes, she had that aha moment of, oh my God, I know exactly what I want to do. And I know what my deeper why is. She was just too afraid to pursue it because she didn't know how. So what I have found, and I'm sure you found working with our students as well, is that until your deeper why clicks in, everything's just harder. You're like, well, it's, it's, it's a lot of work or there's a lot of stumbling blocks or obstacles and I don't really know if I want to do it. But once people identify their deeper why, they know what they need to do. They just don't know how and we help them solve the how. So yeah, the if you find that you're stuck with just about anything, I would usually say, do you know why you're doing what you're doing? And if you don't, that's what you need to figure out before you worry about, should I be sending the outreach email or should I be getting an app to ma- you know, measure my to-do list tasks or whatever it is? That's why it's one of the very first things that we teach is you got to know why you're doing what you're doing first. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the topo mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the topo mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Yeah, it's it's definitely a powerful process. And uh, I'm glad you brought up the idea of the of the comfort zone and that your why really has to do with with getting people in their discomfort zone and helping them realize that they're capable of more. And it's somewhat, I mean, I find it fascinating that you, I mean, you even call your, your coaching program, you know, you put people on the hot seat, right? And so that's a very kind of a bold statement. Um, It's very, it's, it's like, it can be intimidating, right? As, as a student or someone out there. So I'm curious how you have, number one, how you learned that particular style 
And if you've ever got pushback from it, like, yo, that's too much. <laughs> like, I don't want to go there. Um, you know, like, how do you, how do you get people to sort of find that sweet spot and ease them into their discomfort zone? Mm, really good question. Uh, you're much better at this than you thought you would be. I knew you would be this good, but you should be surprising <laughs> yourself right now because these are really good questions. Um, I think I've just mm -hmm. found somebody that can do 50% of my interviews next year. <laughs> Vacation oh, time, baby. Ooh, so, but you see what I did? I just created that look and that feeling of discomfort for discomfort. you. Discomfort. Right? It's like yeah. it just naturally flows out of you. <laughs> yes, it does. Like I'm so good at making people feel uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've I I take pride in that because of my intention behind it. It's not, I want to say something really rude or off-putting or do something disrespectful, and that's going to make you uncomfortable. That's not a world of discomfort I ever want to enter. But my intention behind pushing people into their discomfort zone is because I know how much potential is there for every single person. Going back to the first part of the question, where did I learn it? I've never technically learned it. It wasn't a matter of, you know, putting people in their discomfort zone 101 at Azusa Pacific University. Like I, I never actually formally learned it. I think it's more learned by example, by surrounding myself with people that I wanted them to do that to me. So as you know, I seek out coaches and mentors very, very actively for whatever goal I want to achieve. It's not a matter of, well, I'm all on my own and I guess I got to figure this out. I ask the following question, who is the world's expert at this thing that I want to learn next? they become my new best friend. I've repeated this over and over and over and over throughout my entire career. And those that I've surrounded myself with are all very good at pushing me out of my comfort zone to force me to realize my potential. So I think I've learned by osmosis from people like Tony Horton and my editing mentor, Dodie Dorn, and now my ninja trainer, Jesse Graff. Like these are all people that see the potential in me that I'm not meeting and they're taking me through various exercises, whether literal physical exercises or mental exercises, where I have to really face that discomfort and fear. I would say of all the people that I've surrounded myself with that, that have done this, the best is actually a former kind of quasi ninja trainer and training buddy who's now become a very, very close personal friend is Wesley Silvestri. Just every single time we'd meet, he'd be like, dude, do this thing. I'm like, I can't do that. Are you crazy? He's like, dude, just do it. Just try it. And I would surprise myself over and over and over. So I think I learned by doing. And I just kind of picked it up by osmosis. Uh, some of it just frankly came from that was the way that I was raised as well. Like there was, th there was no option to just do things comfortably and be lazy. You, th that just did not exist in my household. So I was instilled a, very much a very strong work ethic and a lot of discipline. I don't think it was so much candidly or very clearly, I'm going to push you into discomfort so you can realize your true potential. It was... Hey, he's not going to mile itself, get out there and do it. Right. But there was still just living a, a, my entire life around doing things that I don't really want to do that are making me uncomfortable and learning from them. So I think that's the, the first part of it is that I didn't really learn it per se, other than just being put in that position myself. And I think that kind of segues to the second part of this, which is how do I do it in a deft enough manner that I don't scare everybody away? And I don't know the answer to that. You'd have to ask other people. But I think the answer would be, at least as far as my strategy is concerned, is that I don't think you can coach people unless you have empathy. I could take all the certifications to be a certified high-performance coach or health coach or life coach or whatever it is. But if I don't have empathy, meaning I haven't actually walked the same path as you and I haven't felt the same pains and I haven't felt the same discomfort, 
I don't think I can be a great coach. I think I can be a good coach. I can be technically proficient and I can follow all the steps and the prompts that whatever the coaching certification gives me. But I don't think I can be a great coach without empathy, which is why a huge component of my why, which is different than a lot of others, is that I must step out of my comfort zone to inspire you to do the same. If you look at other people's whys, even Simon Sinek's, his teams and people around him, they say that they want to inspire people to be better or whatever it might be. It's a very common theme in people's whys. But the component of me doing it first to inspire others to do it, I think is a really important component, which is why I do American Ninja Warrior. It's not who I want to be on TV. It's if I can get out of my editing chair to the point where as a dad in my mid-40s, I can become an American Ninja Warrior. What I'm doing is I'm eliminating a lot of the barriers and excuses of other people similar to me, where they say, oh, well, that can't be done. Well, it has been done. Not saying it's easy, but it has been done. It's kind of like um, the, the concept of when Roger Bannister was trying to run the four-minute mile. Nobody could do it. Nobody had ever done it before. Once he did it, a whole bunch of people followed afterwards. Not because shoot technology got better, not because there was a change in climate or aerodynamics. It's because people believed it could be done. So I put myself in that position not to think, well, hundreds, if not thousands of people have gone through an American Ninja Warrior course. That I get. I'm never going to be a top American Ninja Warrior. Never going to happen because it's not one of my goals. The point is that by me putting myself in that position myself, people that are going through similar challenges see that it's possible. Therefore, they realize they're, they, they have more potential that they could realize than they think. So number one, didn't really learn how to do it per se. But I think the reason that I get away with putting people on the hot seat is because of my level, level of compassion and empathy. It's not a matter of, well, you're just doing this to entertain yourself or be mean to me. It's, I realize you've been through this challenge too. And I hope that my students feel the level of compassion and empathy that I have when I completely tear their work apart. Because at the <laughs> end of it, of 20 minutes of me totally pushing them into discomfort and tearing their entire lives and their work apart, they all say the same thing. Thank you so much. Now I know what to do next. Beautiful. Yeah. So given that, given the idea that you want to first put yourself in that discomfort zone, I'm curious how like your internal process of when you're in that discomfort zone. So something new that you're doing, so say it's, you know, American Ninja Warrior, new something that you're really uncomfortable with. Walk us through your sort of internal process and some of the ways that you've learned to push yourself through it rather than, you know, if we go back to your imposter syndrome that like defined you in that year of 2017, what is the difference now that you've had in that process of being in that discomfort zone and how are you, how have you learned to navigate it differently? I think that it's it ultimately comes down to something we talk about in the coaching program all the time, which is that the quality of your questions dictate the quality of your entire life. I want to ask better questions because the questions that you ask of yourself and that you ask of others will dictate the quality of the information that you get, which is why I just happened to all of a sudden become the guy that people come to for writing outreach emails. If you'd said 10 years ago, hey, how do you want to monetize your business? Uh, I'm going to teach people how to write outreach emails and get mentors. Never would have happened. Right. But it's all about learning how to ask better questions. And I was asking the wrong questions in 2017. 
The question that I was asking is, who am I to think that I can be a thought leader to tens of thousands of people around the world, right? Who am I to think that I could do that? I'm not capable of that. But then there's a very important word that I've learned to add to the end of just about anything that starts with I can't. And that word is yet. At the time, I can't be a thought leader to tens of thousands of people yet. But how do I break it down so I can find whatever the next step is? And the question that I now ask to this day, whether it's with the business, whether it's with Ninja, whether it's with relationships, it doesn't matter what it is. What is the hardest thing that I can do? So it's not put like for an example with Ninja, if it were a matter of could I go through stage three in Vegas, which is known as the hardest obstacle course on the entire planet. There is no harder obstacle course to get through than stage three in the Vegas finals for American Ninja Warrior. For me to think, well, I can't get through that. Well, of course I can't because there are maybe think five people in 15 seasons that have made it through it. Like the world's best athletes, rock climbers, experts, ninjas, gymnasts, it just destroys all of them. So for me to say, well, I can never be in a Ninja Warrior. I can't do that. Well, what's the hardest thing that I can do? Well, five years ago was getting to the top of that 17-foot rope. That would be really hard. But I bet if I applied myself, I could do it. So it's a manageable level of discomfort. It's scary. But what I do is, and it's a concept that you hear about a lot with people that are dealing with PTSD or dealing with emotional trauma. It's called uh, exposure therapy. So essentially, I've taken this concept of exposure therapy and I use it for fear. What's the, the hardest but most manageable level of fear that I want to take on? So to give a very physical example at Tony Horton's place, and you've, you've gone to one of my workouts, so you know that there's an obstacle where you climb up a rope that's just short of 20 feet. And then you have to like climb down this like diagonal beam that's not meant to be an obstacle. It's literally meant to hold up the, the patio deck, you know, on the next level. It's not meant for human hands. So you go up the rope, you come down this thing, which is almost 20 feet above the ground. Then you have to go across a pegboard and then you have to go to another pull-up bar and do pull-ups. It's like the hardest exercise that we do there. So there was a point at which the fear was so debilitating just to get up the rope that I could barely do it. And I would just sit there and shake before I would do it. But I knew that I could. So that was a manageable amount of fear that I was exposing myself to. So I get to the top of the rope. I'd grab it. I'd go to the beam. Nope, can't do it. Back down the rope. Not a manageable, safe level of fear that I could expose myself to. But then I would try it the next time. All right, this is just enough that I can deal with it. All right. So I got through it. I was scared as hell. I almost fell, but I did it. So now I know I'm capable What's the next level of fear that I can expose myself to that I can manage, but that's uncomfortable. Now I look at that obstacle and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. No problem. Peg beam rope. I don't even think about it, but I used to lose sleep Saturday nights thinking about that obstacle Sunday morning. He also has an entire ninja rig that has a bunch of, you know, bells and whistles and nunchucks and balls and all this spinny stuff. And I would see that on my nightmare Saturday night. In complete, totally incapacitating level of fear, thinking about having to not only go through that, but having to go through it in front of other people. That was really hard for me. It was how, how do I climb a rope or do a ninja rig or a salmon ladder or whatever it is, knowing I'm going to fail in front of people that can't do it? That was really, really hard for me. And again, now I look at, it's called Ninja One, where there's this uh, very specific route that we go through. It's like, oh, okay, my turn for Ninja One, because I've exposed myself to that fear so many times totally manageable. I don't even really have to think about it anymore. Mm. Now, the fear that's manageable, but barely 
is literally getting on the course for American Ninja Warrior with 30 cameras looking at you, lights in your face, in a superdome with a crowd of 500 people watching. That still scares me. But I've done that twice, even though they haven't aired. The first time, completely, totally debilitating level of fear. I went through that. I have no memory of it because my brain shut off. I've told you the story before, but I got up to the starting line and I looked down and I said, oh shit, which one's my right foot? No idea, right? Brain completely locked up. Second time I went through the course, if you watch the back-to-back videos, they look like replays of each other, but I was totally present and I was, there was fear and there were nerves, but it was managed. I was managing that fear and I was focused. So the video doesn't show progress. Mentally, there was a tremendous amount of progress because again, exposure therapy. I exposed myself to the most debilitating yet doable level of fear. And I just developed more of an, uh, an impermanence to it. Like, it's just like, all right, well, it is what it is. Like a Spartan race, when we did the Spartan race a couple of weeks ago with our, our training group, the obstacles, I used to literally get in front of them and shake. I would look at the rope and my hands would be shaking. Went through the Spartan race on Sunday, didn't even think twice about any of the obstacles because I've done it enough and exposed myself to that level of fear that I was just having fun being outside, being in the weather and helping other people manage their fear. Because not, not once, but several times, this is not necessarily something I'm proud of, but at the same time I am, we had more than one person in tears because mm. they were petrified of what they had to do. So I would look at it and for me, it was like, all you got to do is swing from one ring to the next ring. What's the big deal? But it doesn't matter what my perception of it is. Their perception was this is terrifying. So it was my job to make it a manageable level of fear for them to get through. And when they got through it, that was when the switch happened. I saw that light bulb moment on multiple people's faces. When they faced that fear, it was the most they could handle, but they could handle it. They got through it. And now the next time they do things that are hard, they're going to have more of that uh, imperviousness to fear. So I want to emphasize a point that you made while you were telling that story, which was when you were talking about the going up to the ninja course and the different times that you went up and the fear that was there. And you said that the second time you went up, there wasn't a lot of external process, but mentally there was a lot of progress there. And I think that's something that most people would disregard or fail to see. And it reminds me a bit of of our podcast interview with Ethan Cross, Mm. because this is something that he talks about a lot, that chatter in our mind, right? And so I think that you could have easily gone through that second time and said, well, I didn't, I didn't do any better. I failed again, right? But you saw the process, the, the progress you made mentally. And I think that's huge in really understanding how you continue through, right? How you keep going, because there are different levels of progress and it's not all about Uh, the external goals or benchmarks. There are other benchmarks we can use. So I don't know if you recall any of the things in that interview, but if you want to talk about some of those lessons and, and points that strategies that he had from that interview of how we can manage our mental chatter and use that to help us continue working towards our goals. 
Yeah, there are a couple that I can remember specifically that I still literally use to this day to work through this process. Uh, what I want to add to it first that I I think I can add on to this even more about this uh, idea of you watch year one video, year two video, you're like, well, minus the fact that I'm wearing a different colored shirt, didn't I just watch the same thing? Whereas to me, I saw tremendous progress. And that is in my reframing of what the word failure means. I gave a speech recently where I talked all about some of the, the key principles or mindsets to self-optimization. And one of them is that I believe failure is the fastest path towards progress, right? Failure is the fastest path to success. So I could say, well, I failed again and I failed in the same place. What's the point? I am a failure, so I give up and I quit. But what I say in that speech and what I tell myself is that I fail faster than everybody else. The reason that I get wherever I get, whether it's being an editor or it's being a coach or a podcaster, wherever it is, there's a meta lesson underneath all of them. It's not because I have a specific aptitude or talent. It's because I'm relentless. And what I'm relentless about is failing faster and more often than everybody else does. So I want to achieve a goal. I'm just ready to fail. I'm going to fail as much as I can where all the opportunities that I can fail and I need to do it as quickly as possible because the more I fail, the more feedback I get and the better that I get. So the reason that I can can endeavor to attempt a third season on Ninja, fingers crossed if they have me, is that I didn't fail. I gained a tremendous amount of feedback from my second run versus my first. And I've now spent an entire year looking at both the physical and the mental side of my weaknesses, hopefully turning them into strengths. But as far as what I learned from Ethan Cross specifically, I would say that the, the most important one is the way that we talk to ourselves. Because the way that we talk to ourselves and the language that we use, our brain doesn't know the difference. Oh, I'm stupid, or I'm bad, or I'm slow, or I can't do this. If that's the way that we talk to ourselves, then we believe it. So what I learned from him more than anything else, and there's a multitude of wealth of information, both in that interview, but also in his book, Chatter, but if I had to take one thing away from it that I've used that's had the most impact, it's learning how to talk to yourself in the third person. So if you get up to whatever the thing is, for me, if it's the ninja starting line, for you, if it's a job interview or whatever it might be, and you're saying, don't screw up, don't screw up, I don't want to mess up, or I don't want to fail, or even the opposite, I got this, I can do this, you can't step away from yourself. So what I've learned how to do, and it actually works, he's got plenty of science that demonstrates that this works, and I can say anecdotally for me personally, it works as well. I don't say I anymore. I get up to something, I'm like, all right, you've got this. You can do this. That small shift makes a giant difference. And then the flip side is, if you're saying I can't, or for example, uh, if the, what I did the first year in this, looking back on this, I, this is the dumbest thing I ever could have done. I had a good reason for it at the time, but I watched all the fail videos of people falling in the water on the first obstacle because my feeling was, well, I'm just going to get it out of my system and I'm going to learn from what they did wrong. And then you say to yourself, don't fall in the water, don't fall in the water, don't fall in the water. But what your brain hears is fall in the water, fall in the water, fall in the water, fall in the water. Your brain doesn't know the difference. So I had to learn how do I talk to myself in the third person? So I even created a Spotify playlist that was called You Got This. And that's what I listen to to develop the habits to warm up and get myself in a specific mindset. And I start talking to myself as you rather than I made all the difference in the world. 
But then, of course, my foot missed the platform by like, you know, two inches, which got me off balance. And I grabbed the rope with the wrong hand and I fell in the same damn place. But guess what? I've worked on all of that because I said that was feedback. What I realized is I didn't train foot placement enough and I didn't train hand placement if I'm awkward jumping to a rope. So how many times do you think I have awkwardly jumped to a rope in the last year because of that? <laughs> Hundreds of times. And who knows what's going to happen next year? There's no way to know. But the point is I put myself in the position to train that thing based on the feedback that I got rather than the failure. But anytime I'm doing something, I step out of myself and I envision success and I envision it from third person. You're mm -hmm. going to hit that platform. You're going to get to the top of the rope as opposed to don't fall, don't fail, don't get wet. So if you talk to yourself and you, and you envision the positive outcome, night and day. Yeah, that's a powerful one. I remember, I remember him talking about that. I'd like to sort of, and this is sort of related, but um, switching a little bit to the idea of mindsets, because I know that mindsets are really a key theme in the coaching program. And it's a lot of what we talk about on the podcast as well. So do you want to talk a little bit about why, why they're so important for, for you and for the program and, and like how you have come up with the different mindsets that, that you feel are key to success? Mm -hmm. uh, where I actually want to start with this is a really common question that I've gotten on a lot of podcasts where I've been asked to be a guest. And what they do is they listen to the opening of the Optimize Yourself podcast or they read the bio where I say that I'm a combination of Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso minus the mustache. And the key component for me in being successful at anything, and this is not my opinion, this is science's opinion, but it's belief. So the reason I say Tim Ferriss is because I think Tim Ferriss, if not the best, one of the world's best at really deciphering complex information and breaking it down and getting the best guests in the world and biohacking and data and details. Like he's a genius with all that stuff. But what I don't believe, and I'm sure that there are people that would disagree with me, and I've said this publicly before, but to me at least, and I'm sure it might be different for others, but to me personally, I don't see Tim Ferriss as an inspiring figure. Tim Ferriss is a wealth of information. I think he's absolutely brilliant. I think he's an amazing human being. And I love the opportunities that he gives others. But I've never gone to bed at night saying, Tim Ferriss has inspired me. Which is why I bring in the Ted Lasso component. Because Ted Lasso, even though he's a fictional character, not the smartest guy, not the world's foremost expert, doesn't have all the information or all the answers. But what he's exceptional at is getting people to believe in themselves. And I think you need a combination of both. I, let's say that we were to eliminate the mindset components from the program. So all the mindsets that we have either at the beginning of focus yourself or move yourself or advance yourself or all the things that we're building. Let's say that I extract mindset and I start with, all right, here are all the tips and tricks for you to write a great outreach email to get a mentor. Or here's how to use Trello or BusyCal or whatever to become a calendar ninja and better manage your time. You can give people all the information. If they don't believe that they can be successful and they don't have a roadmap and steps to follow to build that belief in themselves, information is meaningless. One of the things that we've talked about uh, offline kind of as we're taking this new direction with Optimize Yourself and really growing, I have said that it is one thing to give away the information and it's another thing to give them a path 
to curate that path so they know what the next steps are. I don't think that information is the solution anymore. Before the internet, information was the solution. I don't have access to information and I want to seek out the people that have the information. Best case scenario, you bought yourself a set of encyclopedias. You kind of had some of the information. That was the best you could do. Nowadays, we have access to everything. Information is no longer the solution, it's the problem. And information is the problem because everybody has access to it. It's ubiquitous and it's free. So it's no longer about access to information. It's how do I process it and how do I use it, which is why I think that with the internet and with all these online learning courses and everything else that's out there, just feeding me with a fire hose of information is now meaningless and has no value. Where I believe the value is, is a combination of carefully curating it in the right order based on your needs. But again, that does not matter if I'm feeding you all the right information from the right experts at the right time. If all you're thinking is, this is great, but I could never do this. This isn't for me, right? I, I could never achieve this level of success or I can't do this or I'm not capable. So if you don't have mindset in there, you can be the best teacher in the world with all the resources and all the data and all the curated information. People don't believe that they can use it and achieve something with it. You're wasting your time. So to me, mindset is everything. Yeah, I love that. Do you want to talk about some of the key mindsets that we we use in the program and how they've factored into helping people find success and achieve their goals? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just as a total caveat and massive imposter syndrome, I still don't know what the key mindsets are. I'm still workshopping them. I'm still trying to figure that out and will be, frankly, for the rest of my entire life. Boiling it down to four key mindsets or five key mindsets or 10 principles or whatever it is, this is one of those things that goes through my head 24-7 all day, every day. It's what are they? It's kind of like, you know, what's the meaning of life and can I unlock it? So this is going to be a, an endless journey for which there's never a destination. But essentially what I'm doing is I'm giving you my current version or iteration uh, of what I believe that they are. And one of them would be this idea and anybody that's been on a hot seat or listened to any of my calls or done any courses, you're like, oh my God, again? Yes, again, because it's that important. Life is a game of chess, not a game of checkers. This is a really important one to me, especially nowadays with access to all this information, with access to all of our technologies, we're all looking for the quick fix. We're all looking for the biohack. We're all looking for the life hack. How do I make things faster and easier? And how do I get to the destination quicker with less effort? That to me absolutely drives me crazy. One of the core things that I mentioned about the term optimize, because I realized, even though I, I took this word like we talked about earlier, where it's what's the word that all these tech people are using, optimizing hard drives and workflows and whatnot. But what a lot of people hear when they hear the word optimize is perfect. How do I make this perfect? And that's a trap that I don't want to fall into because I believe that self-optimization is the constant and relentless pursuit of progression, not perfection, which is another one of those key mindsets. And if you see it as the relentless pursuit of progression, you're not always looking for the next shiny object and the next quick fix or the next quick move. You realize this is a long, arduous, lifelong journey. But if you're thinking with a checkers mentality, oh, how do I just get the, the next gig on the job board? Or how do I get a 5% raise? Or whatever kind of that next small, easy step is, you're missing out on an entirely different world because you're not willing to play a game of chess. So to me, the two most important key mindsets that really play well with each other are that you're, you want to pursue, you don't want to pursue perfection at the expense of progress. 
And you should be playing a game of chess, not a game of checkers. And that's with your career. That's with your health. That's with your relationships, with everything. Another one of the key ones that I think is so, so important is this idea that you have to enjoy the struggle because the journey is the destination. Very Buddhist way of looking at it, I realized. I did not make up any of this. This is all uh, things that have been said in different words for literally tens of thousands of years. Um, but if you're going to play this game of chess and not a game of checkers, you have to realize that the journey is the destination and the struggle is where the enjoyment is the most. And I feel like this is the trap that so many people have fallen into because of modern marketing and advertising and awards and money and materialism is that when I get to this point, when I've got this house or I own this car or I have this award or I have this job or I have this salary, then I've reached the destination. And there is so much science that has completely made this crystal clear that that does not lead to happiness or fulfillment, that it's actually the struggle in the process. So I'm almost concerned about what might happen when I make it through the ninja course, because I know the next question is going to be, now what? <laughs> but what I found is that I'm, I'm, I have so little attachment now to the end result or the goal with ninja because the process and the struggle has completely changed my entire life. The people I'm surrounded with, the way that I physically feel, the way that I emotionally feel, my mental fortitude. I am a completely different person than I was five years ago because of the journey and my willingness to embrace discomfort and enjoy the struggle. That, yeah, I have a goal in mind. I have a vision that I want to create, but I'm not attached to it so much that if I don't get it, it's like, well, I just wasted the last five years of my life. Like, pfft. My life is totally different because of being on this journey and enjoying the struggle. So enjoying the struggle, in my mind, is another very, very key mindset. Uh, and then I would say that the, the one that I emphasize the most more than anything, it's literally built into the icon or the logo for Optimize Yourself, is this idea that you have to run your own race. We are so, so consumed with comparing ourselves to others. The idea of keeping up with the Joneses. How many students have you talked to or how many have I talked to where they say, well, I saw this person on IMDb and we went to college together and I look at what they're doing now and I'm not there too. We're always comparing ourselves to others' journeys. I still do this every day. I'll look at a podcast or I'm like, oh, they've only had their podcast for two years and they're getting five times as many downloads as me. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> Run your own race, dude. I have to remind myself of this all the time. Right. But we are not here to compare ourselves to others. All you need to do is focus on running your own race, which is why the the philosophy of that is literally built into the, the logo and the icon of this entire program. So there are a multitude of other principles, mindsets. I'm trying to figure out how do I bring all these together into this key set of principles or commandments or mindsets or whatever it is constantly evolving process. I mean, I just did a, a presentation recently where I presented five of them. And as soon as I presented, it's like, oh, I have to rewrite all of this because I forgot this and I didn't say that. Like it's, this is a, a constantly evolving thing in my brain is what, what do these actually look like? Because it's, like I said, I'm, I'm never going to have the answer and I'm always going to be trying to, to find it. And the, the journey to find the answer is the, the process. But yeah, I, I, I loved, I could talk about mindset all day, every day. 
I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, I, I think for me, especially like when when I first found you, I think I found you back in when you were still fitness and post um, many years ago, probably I think around 2015. Those mindsets, even though they weren't explicitly said, it was sort of embedded in the conversations you were having. And that's really what drew me in because I was very much stuck in that idea of just needing to get to the next thing and like accomplishing something, waiting for happiness to happen when I achieved some external goal. And, and I think that's a big reason that a lot of people come to the program because they find, they know that that is just a, an endless cycle. It's not, it's not a a way of finding fulfillment. So I'm curious of how you how you incorporate the mindsets into the different guests that you have on the podcast and what maybe any lessons that you've learned from the guests over the years and how maybe they've contributed to those different mindsets and and just the different things that you might have learned from. I mean, we've had everyone from editors to directors to fitness experts to sleep experts, doctors, meditation teachers. I mean, if you look at our guest list, it's like, what is this podcast about, right? Yeah, welcome, yet, welcome to the bane of my existence as an entrepreneur. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it seems all over the map. And yet, I think, really, when we're talking about mindsets, that's one of the things that ties it all together. So do you want to talk a little bit about about some of that? Yeah, so th- this has kind of been an ongoing struggle for just short of a decade now, That of which you've been a part of many of the conversations behind the scenes. But it's, what do we actually do? What, what do we talk about? Because I've had so many people in the entrepreneur space that have looked at the site and they have said, well, I, I don't know what you do. You need to do just one thing, 
right? You need to just talk about standing at your desk and be more active or just talk about getting six pack abs or just talk about outreach emails or just talk about managing calendars. They're not wrong. I don't want to. I just don't. I just, I like talking about all this different stuff. And from a business perspective, if we're really talking about dollars and cents, at least up until now, it has hindered my ability to grow my business. Because if you want people to take action, you need to eliminate confusion, which by the way, is not just for purchases. That's basically a, a metaphor for life. If you can eliminate the vast majority of decisions, it's a lot easier to take action, which is one of the things that we do is we narrow down all the decisions down to what's the one thing, what's the next step that I should take. I don't have to worry about the rest of it now, but I just want to get started and take the next step. So I've had people that have said, well, yeah, you want to be like Tim Ferriss, that's fine. Tim Ferriss can do whatever he wants, but you can't. If you want to build a business and grow an audience, you have to focus on one thing. And it's been years of, well, how do I, what, what is the common thread? If I'm going to talk to somebody about building a business as a trailer editor versus if I'm going to talk to Ralph Macchio about becoming the karate kid versus if I'm going to talk to a sleep expert about sleep supplementation and melatonin, what's the common thread? Like, is it a common mindset? Is it a common belief? And essentially what I realized, and it took years to figure this out, is that all of these are means to one very common and specific end, which is how can I live a more balanced and fulfilling life? These are all the tools or the resources or the strategies or the mindsets, whatever the topic of the week is, it all leads to the same result. I want to have a more balanced and fulfilling life, whether it's I'm having a hard time sleeping and I can't be creative because of that, or I'm cranky all the time. Great. Listen to these sleep experts to learn how you can use melatonin or time the use of caffeine differently or expose yourself to sunlight. So on the surface, it can seem like, well, that's just its own little thing versus a conversation with Ralph Macchio or anybody else. But ultimately, I'm using different paths to lead to the exact same end. I just I want to live a more balanced and fulfilling life which then of course has brought me to the, the current challenge that I've had that we'll be talking more about in the next several episodes is the hell does work-life balance even mean, right? Everybody wants work-life mm -hmm. balance, but as I've talked about so many times before, I don't believe that work-life balance is either what we should be working towards, nor do I believe that it even exists. But it's a really tough nut to crack and I'm still working on how to crack it because what everybody thinks they're looking for is work-life balance until they get there and they realize this actually isn't attainable and I'm looking for something else and I'm trying to figure out what's the easiest way to package all of this. So no matter what we're talking about, people get it instantly. And I think that the idea, that, and we even put this on the, the page for coaching, we wanna help you build the more balanced, productive, and more fulfilling life that you deserve. Because I believe everybody has the potential to become more and to build a fulfilling life that they deserve. So all these pieces fit into that but when it comes to this idea of work-life balance, that's what people think they want. So if I, were, if somebody were to ask, what if all these kind of random disparate parts, whether it's, I want to learn how to write an outreach email, I want to manage my calendar, or how do I use melatonin for sleep? All very random things that in my mind lead towards you having more work-life balance, except that's not really what you're working towards. You just don't know it yet. So, it, but it's taken years to even distill that down because that would be like, how am I talking about outreach emails for? Like, what? What does this have to do with anything? But my intuition was everybody asked me how to do this. They want help with it. Something I feel pretty good at. So let me help them with it. Yeah, but why? Why am I doing this? How am I pushing people outside their comfort zones to discover their greatest potential? It's an outreach email. Like, what does that even mean? But then I realized 
surrounding yourself with mentors and people that can inspire you or open doors for you is a key component to building a more fulfilling life. Once, once I kind of cracked that code, it started to make more sense. And I've now given myself more permission to talk to whoever the hell I want about whatever the hell I want, because I feel like I can always bring it back to here's why this thing is important. But it's taken me about seven and a half years to figure that out. <laughs> so that's a good, a good place to start as far as where, how, how do you decide who you want to talk to on the podcast? Why have you chosen the people you've chosen? Why have they inspired you? Or what is, what is the thinking behind that? It's anybody that will respond to my emails. <laughs> That's the simplest part. Um, but the, it, this was a much harder question to answer five, six, seven years ago. Now, I don't need to answer this question. My students answer this question. When my students come upon roadblocks or challenges that I start to see a pattern and I don't have the resources to answer this question in a single hyperlink, that goes on the board. Or if there's a challenge that I'm facing in my journey that maybe my students aren't facing yet, but because we're on a similar journey, I know they're going to get there eventually. Those are the people that I seek out. So you'll notice that there, if you were to, to map out my own journey and the questions that I'm trying to answer from my own personal journey and the guests that I have, there's a lot of correlation. So it's not a matter of I'm going to stand here at the podium and I am the world's expert and I'm going to surround myself with other experts and we're going to tell you what to do. It's so my life's kind of a shit show right now. And here's what I'm struggling with. And here's somebody that solved this problem. So I'm going to use the podcast as an opportunity to have a free coaching session with the world's foremost expert on whatever the topic is or the book or the course or the movie or whatever. And this is my opportunity for 90 minutes to quote unquote, pick the brain of somebody that can help me with this problem, knowing that by recording it and by packaging it as curriculum, it is now available to help thousands of other people that have the same questions and the same obstacles in front of them that I did at the time or that I do now. So would I love to have a lot more cohesion and a very succinct business model and a very specific niche with the perfect positioning and branding for every single guest? Yes. But ultimately, it's what am I struggling with right now? What do I just want to talk to somebody about? Ooh, here's somebody to talk to about. And they know four other people that are talking about this topic. I'm going to get all them on the microphone. So there, there's definitely some randomness. But I think our ability to, number one, curate it through the website, curate it through the newsletter, and then ultimately further curate it through our lessons in the program are what allow people to go from, I don't understand what any of this is or how it connects to, oh, I see the path now. Um, but it, I mean, to be honest, a lot of us just totally selfish. Who do I want to talk to about life? <laughs> and I've got an audience and I've got data that shows people are going to listen and they're going to buy your book or they're going to watch your movie. And I just want to talk to you about your life. So it really is first and foremost, it's a very, very selfish. The podcast is very selfishly me having the opportunity to talk to awesome human beings. But then if there are students that I know have challenges, who are the awesome people in the world that can help them solve those challenges that I can't help them solve? So let's get a little more specific about that, because we've talked about sort of some of the challenges of having the podcast. And now you're alluding to some of the benefits of it. So can you get a little more specific about actually what the having this podcast for 200 episodes now has has given you and what has changed in your life and maybe maybe some examples of guests or ways that they've um, helped you deal with some of these things? 
Yeah, I would say that by far the biggest thing that I personally have gotten from the podcast has been mentorship. Essentially, not every single one, but the vast majority of the mentors that I have surrounding me, whether it's to learn how to build a business, where it's to learn how to become a better editor or storyteller, whether it is to become a ninja, the vast majority of those relationships started with a cold outreach email to somebody saying, I'd like to have you on my podcast and share the things that you have done with my audience. That's usually where it starts. So if you think about the the two, the three most influential people in my life as far as my ninja journey, two of them came from the podcast. Cold outreach to Tony Horton, cold outreach to Jesse Graff. Now they're just my friends. Now they're just people I can text message and be like, hey, can I come over and swing on stuff at your place? Yeah, sure, no problem. That all started with cold outreach on the podcast. And I used the podcast as a way for them to, number one, better understand who I am and what my goals are and who I serve. But it also is providing them value in return, which with any form of outreach, it's all about how do I provide somebody value by allowing them to share their story. And then if you've got a product or a book or whatever it is, I'll get people to, to consume it. So one of the conversations we've had that's come up more than once via our Slack channel, it just came up last week, and I can't remember if it was in a group channel or it was private, um, but somebody had said, well, we want to get this guest on, um, but it's pretty much just to promote their book. And I said, I have no interest in helping other people promote their stuff. We are here to educate. We are here to motivate. We are here to inspire. If this is relevant to our audience and somebody happens to have a book or a movie or something to promote, I would love to help them promote their work. But it's not a matter of, well, I'm not really interested in this and it's not helpful, but yeah, yeah, we'll just quid pro quo. We'll do them a favor so they can do us a favor. I don't believe in that. But I've used the, the guests where I can provide value to them, but ultimately they can educate, motivate, or inspire our audience. But then offline, when it's done, I think to myself, I could see them being a part of my journey. So I'll use an example of one that people haven't even listened to yet. So there's an episode that's coming out. We're not sure when yet. Um, but it's with, uh, again, I mentioned with Joey Cafone, who's the author of a book that I'm now, by the way, providing free value to Joey because I'm promoting beyond just his episode, The Laws of Creativity. This book is a game flipping changer. And look game at changer. those post-its. All Lots of post-its. <laughs> I've destroyed this book. I have destroyed this guy's book. Like an the author's point, dream, right? Yeah, but the, the and it's and it's like four hundred pages. It's a doorstop. Like you need to change your oil. You prop this under your tires, and you can lift your car up and change your oil. This thing is huge, very dense, but it's also a game changer for anybody that does creative work. The point being that instead of it just being, well, I'm going to have him on the show to promote his work, or I'm going to pretend to talk about his book, but really he knows somebody else that he can mutually connect me with via email. My purpose on the podcast is not to help him promote. That's just going to happen by default. But I've told him this. And as you know, being my producer, I've told many guests the same thing. I said the same thing to Ralph Macchio. I said, you have done the podcast circuit and you have talked about this book over and over and over. I want this to be a space where you can talk about all the things other people don't ask you about. I want you to be able to tell a unique and a different story which at the end of the day may not be valuable to me and my audience, but it's valuable to them. And what, I, what you've seen happen more than once on the podcast, it's actually turned into a hot seat with the guest, like it did with Sandy Zimmerman. She had no idea she was going to change the entire course of her career because she was going on a podcast. She thought she was going to talk mm -hmm. about being the first mom to hit a buzzer on Ninja Warrior like she had a hundred times. And all of a sudden she, she comes away from the interview in tears because I made the interview about her. 
I didn't make it about me. I didn't make it about my objectives. I always think to myself, when I have a guest on, how do I provide value to them? And for Joey, there's a question that he's pondering right now that I heard him talk about on another podcast. And Joey said, and he said it on the Chase Jarvis show, another uh, hint dropped to the universe. I would like Chase Jarvis on my show too. Chase Jarvis and Simon Sinek. Thank you. There, it's out in the universe. (laughs) So he had said to Chase Jarvis, what I'm trying to figure out right now is how do I create the Nike for thinkers? And Chase's response was like, oh yeah, that's, that's really cool. So tell me more about this. And Joey even said in our, in our conversation, he's like, I can't believe that Chase didn't pick up on that. We made half of our conversation about workshopping that one question because that provides value to him. But in my mind, us workshopping something at such a high level of creativity, just listening to that conversation provides value to those that are listening. It might not be, here are three simple steps to start your creative journey. But when you hear a really in-depth, deep level conversation about the creative process, it can lend other ideas. And then on top of it, after we finished, I didn't just say, hey, Joey, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I wrote him a really lengthy email a couple of days later where I said, I can't get this thought out of my head. I love this idea of you building the Nike for thinkers. Here's a bunch of random ideas. If these are useful, great. If not, whatever. I asked for nothing in return. But for me, having him on the podcast, what I would love is for him in five years to have built the Nike for thinkers and for him to say, yeah, one of the seeds that was planted was this conversation I had with this one guy. That's, I don't want him to give me credit because I don't get any of the credit for it. But I love, again, giving people that spark of, I see it now. I see the potential and I can see what the next step is to make it happen. So for me, the podcast has gone from, well, I want to find a mentor. I want to connect with people, which I still do. But ultimately, when I have them on, how can I treat them no different than any other student in the program? to where they can walk away with a new insight or a next step. Cause I just, there's nothing I love more than that moment. And I've got it from Joey. I've got that moment on camera of him having one of those aha moments. Like, Oh, I'd never looked at it that way before. Right. It's inception. It's that idea where the thought is planted. You can't unplant it and it leads to something else. So that ultimately is what I love about the podcast and the way that I seek out guests is not just who has a book to promote or how could this be useful curriculum, but is there somebody where I can provide value to them in return? So if I'm a listener and I'm looking for a mentor, are you saying I have to start a podcast? Yeah, I've heard that a time or two. Um, (laughs) You definitely do not have to start a podcast and I don't recommend it unless you're planning on doing it hundreds and hundreds of times. Because for the most part, anybody that is working at a high level in any industry or that is already doing the podcast circuit they can see the difference between those that are really serious about it versus those that are just kind of using it as a way to to get in somebody's inbox. So again, if you're somebody amongst the every single person on the planet that has three episodes of a podcast, you're probably not going to get big A-list mentors that are going to be on your show overnight and decide that they want to mentor you in return. So you have to be willing to play the chess game and not the checkers game and consistently put in the work to develop the skill of having good conversations and asking good questions. It's very much a skill that has to be developed. Debbie is here live on the hot seat today, developing her <laughs> ability to ask good questions, which by the way, you are passing with flying colors right now. Um, but no, you do not have to start a podcast to find mentors. In certain ways, it opens doors that pot, that not having a podcast might not open as quickly. But ultimately, if you can find the right person that can become your version of your expert, which as I define in the program, is somebody that's doing now what you want to be doing next, 
if you can learn how to provide them value, if you can learn how to clearly tell your story and convey this is where I need help, and my journey may be similar to yours, they're going to be empathetic to you and they're going to want to help you. So if you want to find mentors, you just need to be willing to put yourself out there and connect with people. But yes, there are certain relationships that I built because of the podcast that could I have built them otherwise? Absolutely. The podcast is just kind of a cheat code. But it's not a cheat code because you've had it for a week. It's a cheat code because I've been doing it for eight years. So yeah, now is it easier for me to just reach out to somebody and get them on the mic and pick their brain? Sure. Could I have just randomly reached out to Joey Cafone and talked to him about creativity? No. But because he knows that I can get this in front of the right people, his core audience, and he knows I'm going to ask good questions, then it opens the door. What he didn't know was that I was going to essentially put him on a hot seat and help workshop the challenge that's got him stuck right now. So I see we're coming up to close to our time here. So I'm just getting warmed up here. You're going to have to cancel whatever you got going. Now you're realizing how all the prep work is meaningless because you've gotten through about 5% of it, right? Oh, the amount of prep I have that nobody has ever seen. Right. Well, you know, you, you do it anyway. <laughs> and I hope it sparks some ideas. But I do want to come back around a little bit to kind of the evolution, kind of where we, we started, where Fitness Impo started, became Optimize Yourself. And I want to just, before we end, I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of Optimize Yourself how it became into a coaching program that you now have team members um, that you know help help create this program and then talk about a little bit about where you see the future of optimize yourself and where you want to take it. You realize you're asking really good questions. Not only <laughs> are you asking good individual questions, you're asking them at the right time and you're providing a very good structure for this interview. So I'm just pointing that out because I know that uh, you were... Debbie was very nervous. She was I've very nervous to, to do this today. I've to a few of your podcasts, so... <laughs> uh, well, whether it's by osmosis or otherwise, um, you're doing a stellar job right now. I just want to point that out. Um, so when it comes to why a coaching program and where are we going next... When I started to monetize, if we're going to rewind back to the very beginning of Optimize Yourself, uh, what I had learned, a very common thing, and everybody's doing this nowadays, not nearly as many people were doing it seven years ago, but if you have knowledge, package it. Build a self-guided online course. Nowadays, every single person on the planet has built some version of a self-guided online course because the internet told them, this is how you create passive income. And my joke is always the passive is income is where you work 20 hours a day so you can make money while you don't sleep. That's what passive income is. Ask me how I feel about passive income. But I, I did what all the experts told me. They said, especially if you have a podcast or if you have knowledge that can help others, you package that knowledge and you sell it as online courses. Simple, right? It's the quickest path to financial freedom. So I started on that process and I built a course called Move Yourself, which is what I was marketing when I built that 5X Challenge. And Move Yourself, I think I sold, uh, I don't know, three, 400 people, maybe made, I don't know, $20,000, $30,000, which at the time was mind-blowing that I was even capable of generating that kind of income without being an editor. And I've talked about more than once with my team and with others that the game changer for me was when one person paid me $97 for a course I hadn't built yet. That's when I saw the path. I'm like, this can be done. I have no idea how to do it. But this can be done because people believe in me enough to teach them how to be more active in front of their desk. They'll give me $97. And if I can learn how to repeat this and scale it, I've got a way to make a living that doesn't require editing. 
So I built a move yourself, self-guided online course, had no other support or accountability beyond that. And then I said, I want to talk about time management and productivity because I am just a total nerd about workflows and calendars and time and all this other stuff. So I built Focus Yourself and Focus Yourself was built. I think it took me at least two years to build kind of the first usable version. And what I found when I both sold Move Yourself and when I sold the very early, early versions of Focus Yourself, I have data and dashboards behind the scenes that tell me when people are using the materials. I can look at any given lesson and see what the retention rate is, just like uh, YouTube analytics. How far are they watching it? How many watched it to, from beginning to end? How many stopped in the middle? And then I can look at individual students and see what is their progress through a course. Nobody was going through anything. And I started to do more research. And the industry standard to this day, it was actually lower when I did this research. But right now, the industry standard is roughly a 10 to 15% completion rate for online courses, mm. which to me is just mm. abysmal. Like, that's embarrassing. And I thought to myself, do I want to make money selling courses through Facebook ad funnels or whatever, knowing that they're not making an impact? And mind you, there are a lot of people that say yes. Heck yeah, I want to sell online courses and make millions of dollars. And they do. And nobody uses them. And it has no positive impact. And I thought to myself, that's not the business that I want to build, which really sucks because that's the business that I've been building for three years now. But it's not the business that I want to build. So I had two conversations the same day with students from Focus Yourself, just self-guided students, two different Zoom calls. They didn't know each other. I think they were either in different states or maybe even in different countries. I don't remember now. But two people back to back said the same thing to me at the same time. When I was asking them what challenges they were having, why they didn't get through it, they both said, you know, to be honest, I would rather pay you $3,000 and use these materials and get through it, then pay you 300 and not use the course. Mm. Same two people said the same thing on the same day. And that was my light bulb moment. Wow. I said, I don't, I, I'm not building a self-guided course business. I'm building a results business. I want to sell results. What is the way to do that? I'm going to have to help people through this. So it started with private coaching. Literally me one-on-one -on -one for 12 weeks, holding somebody's hand through every step of the course materials, reviewing every worksheet, giving feedback on every single answer in the worksheet, piece by piece by piece by piece. And that not only helped them get results, but it helped me understand what worked and didn't work about the course materials. And then the thought was, well, pfft, I mean, I can't work individually with all these people forever. Like there's, there aren't enough hours in the day to do this. Can I do this with like, God, I don't know three or four people at once. No way. I could never help four people on the same call. It's impossible. But hey, find the hardest version of what I can do that's really scary. And I thought, what happens if I try this in a small group setting with three or four people? Scared to death that I was going to get four refund requests. Same process. Four people on the same call, going through every lesson, every module, every worksheet, step by step by step. And what I realized, and you know this very, very well, because you facilitate my small group focus yourself class now, you get more results from people workshopping this together than they'd ever get workshopping it privately. I'm like, holy crap, they're actually getting more out of this. And this is working better. And this is a little bit more scalable. Could I do two classes with four or five people? Let's try it. And all of a sudden that started to work. And then the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden, I thought to myself, my business is going to disappear. This is it. This was the moment. Nobody's going to pay any money for this stuff. The world just shut down. 
And in hindsight, obviously, that was very stupid because the exact opposite happened because everybody had the realization, what the hell am I doing with my life? And I need somebody to give me guidance to figure out what are my next steps so I actually value what I do with my time and how I spend my life. So the year of the pandemic, 2020, my business more than doubled, but it was the same problem again. I can help one person and I can help four people, but could I help like 10? <gasps> There's no way I could help 10 people at once or 15 or like 30 people at once. It's impossible. But I figured out how do I build the infrastructure to be able to work with somebody privately or in a small group or in a much larger group setting such that they have access to the materials. They can go through it self-guided, but knowing that whenever they get stuck, they can get community support and they can get uh, individual one-on-one -on -one support for me. And that's essentially how this model became. Where now, once you join the, the community, I kind of just give away everything for free. Just kind of Netflix style. Like you pay a fee, you get all these learning materials because even my information has no use or value unless you take action on it. So here's all the information. So even in the right order, but what you're paying for is access to work with me and access to work with the community. So that's the model that we have now because I'm not in the business of making money. I'm in the business of getting people results. And this is what gets people results. And you see it every day, just like I do. So now my why, when I'm thinking, oh God, really? Why am I turning down all this great work for all this money? Wondering how I'm going to pay my bills three months from now if I don't sell enough of spots in the coaching program. It all comes down to one thing, and that's our wins channel. You see it every day. The wins that we get in our Slack community bring me to tears. So every time I think about quitting, I look at the wins channel. Nope. Just another day in the trenches, and I got to figure it out. But now that we have the basic formula for getting results, which is this combination of access to information, information curated in the right order, plus support from both the community and me and you and other coaches that we're going to bring on board, I really believe that we're getting people lasting results. So that's the direction we're going next is taking everything that we're doing, doubling, tripling, and quadrupling down on it so we can offer the same resources to a lot more people. Hmm. Yeah, I love that wins channel. It is so satisfying to see how many people are just making strides in areas that, like you said, they never thought they could and changes and new things happening um, in ways that they they didn't see possible before they join the community. So is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have before we wrap up here? That's a good wrap up question. I like that one. Uh, that's always a good filler when you're like, God, I have no idea how to wrap this thing up. What do I, uh, that's, that's my go-to is I don't know how to wrap it up. So that's what I'm going to ask. Um, I mean, there are a million things that we didn't talk about. Um, we literally could do this for another three, four or five hours. Um, but I, I think that what I want to come back to, to close it out is that, and this is really going to kind of be a regurgitation of my why I really believe that every single person that's listening or watching this, they are capable of more than they ever dreamed or imagined. And the reason that they are not reaching that potential is just fear. They're just afraid of confronting something, whether it's voices in their head that say they can't or people around them that say they can't, or it's a fear that they're not willing to confront. I just, I do this every single day because there's nothing that gives me more pleasure than convincing somebody they can do something that they thought they couldn't do. Just, it's so much fun to go through that. Um, so that's, that's really why we do what we do and why I continue to crawl through the digital trenches to figure out what is the formula to really make this successful because I see the results that we're getting.
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what keeps me coming back and keeps me loving the community and watching people change and um, really being a part of it is really, it's changed my life in, in ways that I never thought were possible too. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for the the 200 episodes. And I'm looking forward to 200 more. I am looking forward to 200 more as well. And uh, who knows how many of them you might end up being the host of. (laughs) There you go again, doing that discomfort thing. See what I did there? See what I did there? Just enough discomfort that I put you in a place that you're scared of, but you can face it. I do believe what happened today is I planted a seed. (laughs) The relentless teacher. Yep. Never stopping. I don't I don't know how to not do it. It's actually kind of annoying. I don't mm-hmm. know how to not do it. It's just part of who I am and I've now decided to embrace it. Yeah, I feel bad for your kids and your wife. <laughs> I'm sure that they would agree with you. They're like, oh my God, enough with the life lessons already. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this amazing just insight into the process of optimize yourself and the the story of where it's come from and where it's headed so looking forward to more yes i appreciate it and there's there's one last question that you always want to ask every single guest maybe might be an obvious one for this but how can people get a hold of you (laughs) oh yeah that's a really important one that's very important right right. you always want to make sure if somebody (laughs) wants to connect with your guest that you can facilitate that connection the simplest way i can put it for everybody listening i am very very accessible just email me directly zach.arnold at optimizeyourself.me z-a-c-k dot arnold i'm not accessible quickly And sometimes it takes me a while to process and get through all the messages, but I am directly accessible to me personally. And I want to make sure that I can connect with anybody that is inspired by today and wants to go further along their journey of self-optimization. Excellent. Thank you so much, Zach. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.